Welcome, and thank you for joining me for this episode of The Marketing Mind. On this show, I have conversations with my friends in digital marketing. These experts are the best in their fields. We dive deeper into what makes them tick. My name is John Ellis. I am a marketing professional. I've been in digital marketing for close to 20 years now. In that time, I've met a lot of great people and great experts. You can find me on Twitter every day discussing marketing, join the conversation, or just ask me a digital marketing question. If I can't help you, I know one of these experts who can. Find me on Twitter at John W. Ellis. Thanks again for the responses and the comments on the last episode. We are off to a great start. I love hearing from you. I love all the five-star reviews. But today, I look inside the marketing mind of... I'm AJ Wilcox with B2Linked.com, and I'm the founder. I'm a LinkedIn ads expert. As we've talked on other episodes, many digital marketers, especially those that own their own agency, have found it best to hyper-focus on one specific area. That's AJ as well. I asked him about his day-to-day. Oh, man. Uh, I have a, a whole team that manages LinkedIn ads for clients, but the vast majority of what I'm doing is either... Um, you know, speaking from stage, uh, teaching, training, creating content, uh, and even selling for, for our company. It's unfortunate, but I'm the sales guy that we have. <laughs> I had about 17 speaking engagements this year, uh, which next year I've got to pair it back to about 10 because that was way too many. <laughs> that's one of those because I've, I've done a lot. I haven't done that many in a year, but that's one of those things that everybody thinks, oh, I want to do that. I want to go out there and travel the, <laughs> travel the country until you get deep into it and you realize, oh, no, this is horrible. This is... I. I have a family at home. I got errands to run. I got things to do. And this is, this is not as uh, sexy as it sounds. <laughs> exactly. It looked super sexy when I saw Rand Fishkin up on stage. And then <laughs> when I had to do it 17 times a year, I was like, oh, okay, something here needs to change. I got a wife and four kids here. Uh, a wife that in April told me she felt like a single mother. <laughs> Obviously you're doing, I assume almost a hundred percent LinkedIn these these days, but that's not where you, I mean, you didn't just start out out of college and just start doing LinkedIn, right? When you were. Yeah. Yeah. I was an SEO guy. I considered myself an SEO guy for about the first seven years of my career. And then, uh, you know, during that time I learned about building websites. So I started playing a little bit with CSS and HTML and learned Google ads just enough to realize I hated them. <laughs> Nothing against PVC professionals. Like I absolutely like, I love the concept of it, but man, it just like, graded at my soul every time I had to go and like do a search query report to look for exclusions. And um, yeah, but for some reason I absolutely love it when it's social. So like when I'm cutting out audience segments and stuff, for some reason I love that. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you think, cause I, I talked to someone else um, on, on the on a previous episode where they were sort of doing all things digital and really narrowed down to one specific thing. Did you did you know, did you kind of know that would work or just like, if I just focus just on this or was there some fear to that? Like, it's not going to be enough business for me if I just focus on one thing. Oh man, I was so scared. I, I realized, um, here was the realization I had. I'd been considering myself an SEO guy, but was absolutely killing it at a previous company using LinkedIn ads. And I ended up growing that account to become the LinkedIn's largest spending account worldwide. And so I'm, I'm running the biggest account in the world by myself for two and a half years. And I kept telling myself like, man, this can't be the only company that needs this. There has to be more. I have no idea what that market looks like. I have no idea how to sell or reach them. So it really was like 
when I started the company, my wife and I talked about it and I said, I'm going to give us a solid like 11 months of runway. And if I get nine months in and say, you know, realize there's no market for this, we've got to bail. But sure enough, after about five months, uh, it took that long before I was like recouping my previous job salary um, on a monthly basis. And I went, okay, cool. There, there's something here, but I was scared to death for that first five months. Yeah. But you've also, at least, I mean, going back to what we were saying about traveling all the time, you also hustled a lot <laughs> to, to, to get there. And <laughs> yeah, I realized very early on that I'm the world's crappiest sales guy, uh, but I'm a great marketer. And so immediately I was going out saying, okay, what thought leadership can I share? What content can I create uh, to be valuable and get my name out there? So that was the first year, actually probably for the first three or four was I'm just going to just invest my time. And every sales conversation went the same. It was me just dumping knowledge on someone until they said, whoa, 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 what's it going to take to get you to do this for us? <laughs> was being on the road part of that plan or did that come later? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if this was more um, business building or more ego, to be honest. But like when I grew up in SEO, I looked at people like Rand Fishkin and Danny Sullivan on stage, and I said, I want to be like them when I when I grow up. And so as soon as I was out on my own, I went, cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna go speak at conferences. And it took, you know, in the first year, I probably pitched 15 conferences, and only one accepted me. But I was in. I did so well at that first one that I was invited back the next year. And then the next year I was accepted on another one. So first year was one, second year was four. And, uh, and then it kind of grew from there to where, you know, now I've got to start scaling back, but I love being on stage. Quite honestly, I love the attention and I love getting to share something that like is so I'm so passionate about this, is the stuff I think about when I'm trying to go to sleep at night and people are actually like walking into the room and sitting down in preparation to hear me, you know, talk about it. I love it. Yeah, it's a great feeling. I um, people ask me because I, 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 don't, I, as you can tell, as I'm stumbling over my words here. People ask me, do I mind speaking in front of people? There's a part of me is like, absolutely, I mind. I, I hate every bit of it. But <laughs> when I'm talking about something I know and I'm confident about that, I know this subject. I don't mind at all. It's like I'm going to go up there. This is something I not only I prep this the specific presentation for it, but I've been prepping this presentation for the last 15 years. This is what I do every single day. So, uh, I don't, I don't mind that at all. And, um, especially like when you get to the Q and a section and people are asking questions, like, cause I'm confident in my knowledge. Yeah. I think that was what I learned after the first few, because every speaking engagement I, I went to early on, I was like sweaty palms. I was like, super nervous to hop on stage. But as soon as I got into the rhythm talking about what I know, uh, all of the fear melted away. So I realized I just had to get into that as fast as possible. And then uh, like three months ago, I got asked to to give a talk at my church. And as I'm, as I'm up there, I'm feeling that nervousness again that I haven't felt in years. And I go, okay, that's definitely because like depth of subject matter at, at church. I, I feel like I'm basic, but in LinkedIn ads, I can go deep. <laughs> but you mentioned you, you love, I, I hate to come back to something you said earlier. You said you love the attention. Is that you kind of, I mean, is that you, is that your whole childhood growing up? Or you were, or your attention seeker? Were you on stage a lot? I don't know. I, I was a little bit of a class clown, I think in high school. So, but, so the um, answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I probably wasn't the worst out there, but I, I probably had some teachers who uh, talked behind my back and loved my existence. <laughs> yeah. Now you're from, obviously you're in Utah, 
But is, are you from that area? Is that where your family, your family is, parents, that kind of thing? Uh, you know, I'm originally from Arizona, but uh, when I when I left Arizona, um, I went to go serve a mission for my church, and then went to college afterwards. While I was doing that, my family actually moved up from uh, from Arizona to Utah. And so I got to be with them, which is cool. And then I ended up marrying my high school best friend and um, her family ended up moving up here about uh, probably eight ish years ago. So now, I mean, the entire family came back to Utah. And so I feel like I'm native, even though I'm not. You had it. Did you have a big family? You have siblings? Uh, I only have one brother, um, but now we've got four kids. So I'm. Uh, doing things a little bit differently. I'm just the opposite, AJ. I have, I'm one of, I have five brothers. Whoa. <laughs> that's right. That's the right. That's the correct response. <laughs> wow. What were you and older or younger? I was, um, I was the fifth out of six. So I have one younger brother. Whoa. So you got beat up a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I have, I had five brothers and I have just, um, me and my wife have one, one child now, one daughter. So you went to, I assume you, you went to BYU. Is that I you did. Said Utah? Yep, yep. I went to BYU. I studied business marketing there, and it was so funny because this was back in 2007, where I got it my degree in marketing, but the um, I only had like four, maybe five marketing classes. Not a single one of them was digital. So I I graduated after a year internship where I, I was doing SEO and, and, uh, and PPC and website building. And that, that was how I learned digital was outside the school. So I I'm happy to see that schools are now teaching it internally. Right. Did you have a, did you have a sense when you got out of, cause you were already interning, interning, but so you kind of knew kind of what you wanted to do as you were graduating. Well, it was funny. I, I went into marketing because um, I, I loved cars and, when I got into the the mar- sorry the business program, um, they make you take like a, a class where you sample all the different majors. And the guy who got up and talked about marketing, he showed this this presentation that he'd done a lot of work for like Audi and BMW. And uh, I, I saw this and went, "Whoa, cool!" And it, it had me gripped. So I I decided I wanted to do marketing based off of this presentation. You know, uh, but I found out I absolutely really loved it. And, you know, I had this really high paying job on campus. I was making $13 an hour. It was more than any other on campus job. And, uh, you know, it, it was doing technology. It was, it's like maintaining servers and, and uh, fixing internet connections and stuff. And so while I was doing this, I was going, wow, I can't take any other job. I'm getting paid so much, but who in the world is ever going to hire me in marketing, which is my degree, if my experience is all in tech. And that sounds funny to us now, but at the time I was so worried. And then I had in one of my marketing classes, a guest lecturer came in who talked about SEO and I went, bingo, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is tech plus marketing. And so I went up after class and begged that poor man for an internship. And that was kind of how I got my, my start into it. I was not smart enough in college to think about, I need to get an internship. I just didn't, it just didn't occur to me. It's like, I was just sort of taking classes and enjoying classes. And uh, I shouldn't say that I did have a part-time job, um, part of the IT group at college. Um, nice. So it was all outsourced to students. We had a, a manager, a full-time employee there, but he, we did all the IT work for college. So he'd sent us out to some, you know, some professor's office who was struggling to figure out how the computer worked. And it was all basic stuff. Um, <laughs> to, to us, it was basic stuff for the, you know, the old, 
the old, uh, have you tried rebooting? And half the time, <laughs> half the time that worked and we would take credit for it. Yeah, that's complicated. I can't really explain it to you how, but, uh, like you probably that tech, that tech skill is really coming handy in the marketing space. Yeah. I think tech makes us so much better marketers. Every time someone asks me, like, you know, what would you have done differently in college? I totally would have gone with an information, sorry, an information systems degree rather than marketing. Cause I feel like marketing is one of those things that, you don't have to learn from a textbook. You can learn uh, live, especially because it's always changing. But boy, if I had that background of you know Python and SQL and uh, all those oh. things, I would be an insane paid marketer. So you really came right out of the college, sort of hit the ground running. Then, right? You you were I mean you were instantly into digital marketing, right? There was no there was no other sidetrack tangent that took you elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, I just everything that I learned, it just made me hungrier for more. I, I got into SEO and, and it was like the on-site stuff. And I thought that was so cool. And then I found out about link building and then went super deep into that for like three years and then uh, really fell in love with technical SEO and went deep there, um, then found local SEO. So th- it was just like every year or something, there was something new that caught my attention that made me want to go deeper. So yeah, I, I'm I'm committed, like a l- lifelong digital marketing guy for sure. And and as we said, now you're doing um, 100% LinkedIn. You see that expanding a lot over the next few years? Well, I'm not quite sure what the future of the platform looks like. When I started five years ago, the platform was so nascent. The, the market didn't even know that LinkedIn ads existed. And so it was very slow, slow going. But now I feel like in the last couple of years, the market has really embraced LinkedIn ads. And I'm seeing so much more conversation about it and uh, and so much more interest. I mean, conferences are are hitting me up saying, "Hey, do you want to come and speak?" I don't have to like pitch them anymore. Yeah, and it's not like Google and Facebook where when they very first started out, the the cost per click was so inexpensive that you just could could do no wrong. Like you were successful from day one. So of course you'd go and tell your friends, "This is working for me," and then they'd jump on. LinkedIn wasn't like that. It started out at like a base of $2 per click. So it's always been at least a little bit expensive and uh, competitions kind of driven it up from there. So right now we're like six to 10 bucks a click on average. And I don't know what, like how high that has to go competition wise before people say, yeah, I can't do this. I'm out. <laughs> so maybe it's like 13, $15 a click. I don't know. Uh, but I'm, I- I'm going to wait and see what happens. The matching is so good that you just I agree. don't. I, I just you just can't get it uh, in Google, and even when they say they have it, they don't really have it. They're just t- taking educated guesses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think uh, LinkedIn has the data. Like no one else has that data, and um, and they're so they're so expensive right now, so that they've priced themselves out of the market for so many different types of businesses. Uh, so I'll be interested to see what the digital marketing world does here in the next few years. So going back a little bit, you grew up in Arizona. What was your childhood like? What, what did your What did your parents do, for instance? Well, very conservative household. My dad uh, worked for the same bank for you know thirty years. Uh, you know, being a banker, like obviously very financially conservative. That's kind of where I come from. Um, my mom is a therapist and uh, worked out of her home. So you know. When I decided to go off and start my own company, both of them were like, whoa, that's not what we do. Like, this is, this is totally different. I did not come from an entrepreneurial upbringing at all. Um, but I, I'm really glad. Like, uh, it, it's, I'm sure as you know, it's such a fun leap, um, that 
you just don't know what's on the other side until you make it. Well, let me let me step back a little bit. I was asking about your family. So when you were a kid, though, what did you what did you envision your adulthood being? Did you have any plans of what you were going to do as as a grown up? Man, I thought I was going to be a psychologist. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I, I mean, as a really young kid, I, I loved playing basketball basketball, and I thought for sure I was going to be in the NBA and, until my my grandpa uh, shot that dream down. He's like, "You're not tall enough." <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think starting out there, um, I you know all the way through uh, high school, I thought I was going to go into psychology. I took an AP psychology class that I really liked, and you know that's helped me in my marketing for sure. But I'm so glad that I'm not listening to other people talk about their problems all day. So, uh, so years later, you you told your parents that you're going to sort of do your own thing and own your own company, and you said, how, how did they adjust to that? Oh man, they, they were scared for me, but you know, because my dad is so financially conservative and that's how I grew up, uh, we've always been savers. So when I, I actually got laid off from my last job, when I was laid off, we had, we had a runway of 11 months all saved up where, you know, we could take a, a jump like this. And I'm so glad that we were because, you know, even if this opportunity were totally ripe to go and like build a niche agency just around one topic, um, if I couldn't have floated it financially during that time, it wouldn't have happened. So very, very grateful for uh, being savers that way. But that kind of leads to my next point because you eventually decided to, it was just you, but then you, you brought on people full-time, actual full-time employees, or do you just have contractors? I figured just starting out, I was about a year in and went, I am miserable. I'm working till two and three every morning. I'm losing hair and I'm gaining weight. Um, this is just not great for my life my whole lifestyle. So, you know, but I can't afford yet, or at least I didn't feel like I could afford a full-time person yet. So I went, okay, a full-time person at 40 hours. What if I brought on two interns at 20 a piece? Yeah, AJ, you've got it now. <laughs> so I, I, I did that, but I, I, fig- I figured out very quickly, even though I ran the company for about, you know, six months like that, that, uh, when you're working with interns or people who are still in school, they can be very helpful to you. But the second midterms or finals roll around, they are gone for an entire week. And it's all just right back in your lap. I decided I was going to hire my very first full-time person. And my life fundamentally changed at that point. Sure, it's so scary. But when I did it, three months later, I took my first vacation and it it changed everything that I do. And I'm, I'm so glad now I'm a lot quicker to hire. I feel like now, I mean, we have two wrecks out right now. We're looking to hire, you know, two more full-time people. And we're actually, we've been totally remote up to this point and we're actually going to be opening an office, which is exciting. So all of these changes. And I, I feel like the company's finally got to a point where I'm, I'm okay hiring a couple people, you know, realizing that if something bad happened, I could still float it. The, the company can yeah. still support them. When, was there was there a point where your your wife was comfortable from the get go? Like, um, I think this is going to work out. His business is going to take off. I'm comfortable. Or is she's is she constantly worried. <laughs> uh, it was it was obviously rocky to start out with. I mean, sure. I, I had lost my job when we we had three kids at home and one on the way, and so very very scary time. And I told her, I was like, hey, I've got this idea. Like, no one's doing anything around LinkedIn ads, and I think I could specialize in it. And I remember her saying, uh, yeah, sounds really good. I mean, of all the ideas you've ever brought to me, that sounds really good. <laughs> but can you just go and, like, 
get a job. <laughs> so I did. I, I went and did a whole bunch of interviews. I ended up with four job offers and two of them were for way more money than we'd ever made before, uh, which was so exciting. But yeah, we're really faithful people like we've talked about. I, I know what happens when I, I make decisions and, and don't consult a higher power. And so we, we prayed about it. And the answer I got was, nope, turn them all down. And it was so hard to turn down you know, these jobs for so much more money. But when I asked about it, I was like, okay, well, what about this thing I've been cooking up? Uh, the answer I got was, that's what you're supposed to be doing. Pursue that. So I call myself an unlikely entrepreneur. I never would have taken this leap if I didn't have like, you know, kind of being talked into it. So now you have, a, how many people you have working for you now? Uh, now we've got six. Six and you're uh, hiring two and then building an office, not building an office, but getting an office and things are looking up. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, there's never been this level of interest of, around LinkedIn ads before. What's next on your speaking schedule? Uh, the next one, so I have State of Search next week. So I don't know when this episode uh, in releases. That's in da Dallas, right? That's right. Yep, Dallas. And that's my last one of the year. And then, uh, uh, so those are the next on the agenda. Yes, come see me in Dallas. <laughs> well, obviously your topic is is LinkedIn. What's anything specific about LinkedIn you're talking about? It depends on the audience a little bit, but um, what I found for the most part, people still need the intro content. The majority still aren't advertising actively, so they need the basics of like who should and shouldn't be advertising and what are the different ad formats good for. So let's talk about them a little bit here. You have sponsored post, you have in-mail, yep. and then you, you have the text text ads. Am I, am I missing anything? There's one that you're, that you're leaving out for probably a really good reason. It's called dynamic ads. It's... It's the newest one and it gets really low click through rates and it costs more than sponsored content posts. Um, so I think it's a, a terrible comp, a terrible combination of an ad unit. I just tell everyone like, don't even worry about that one. Don't use it. I've, I've had luck with, I've had luck with sponsored posts and in mail's done well for me, but not the text ads. So I love text ads. Uh, I I've run the world's largest text ads account <laughs> and, uh, I, actually several of them over the years. What's really cool about text ads is they are desktop only. So you know that when someone makes it to your landing page, they have full use of a full keyboard. So you can usually ask them for more information, fill, you know, have them fill out more fields. Um, conversion rates usually pretty high. You don't necessarily have to provide too much value uh, before you send someone to a text ad. Like It's obviously an ad. So when someone's interested, they click on it. Um, they're also the cheapest ad format. Like you can, you can still bid $2 a click on them. Whereas your sponsored posts, uh, most of the time you're going to have to bid four seventy five, five fifty uh, at the floor. I feel completely foolish now. That's oh, no, like, no, no, no. That, that sounds like an excellent ad. Uh, especially when you just, I, I had, and I guess I knew this, but I never thought about it. I forgot they were desktop only. It just, it just didn't occur to me. And I, I'm sure I knew that cause I've done it before. Just, uh, it actually, there's a benefit to that being desktop only because they're, like you said, they can, they can access that form a lot easier and do more things. Yeah. Well, definitely don't feel sheepish on that one. Uh, text ads, the biggest challenge with them, the reason why people just don't use them a whole lot is like 80% of the traffic that you get from ads is going to come from mobile. So that means very few people are even seeing these ads. And then on top of that, they have a really low click through rate a 0.025% is the average. So that is two and a half clicks out of every 10,000 impressions. I mean, they uh, if you've ever launched text ads and you went, 
holy crap, this spent $7 in the last week. This wasn't even worth my time. Um, that's the reason why people don't love text ads. But for larger audiences, doing it in bulk with lots of audiences where you actually will spend something that's that's meaningful, that's when they start to get really exciting to me. And they they have a very high impression cap. So you, you know someone can see these ads, and I don't know what the actual number is, but let's say you can see them 20 times a day. Well, you can only see a sponsored post uh, once to maybe twice a day. So w- when you start doing that math, you're like, oh, okay, this is a lot of free branding. I can make sure that my ads on text ads are being seen reliably, uh, even if they're banner blind to them. You know, they're not looking at them too often. Every so often they are, and those impressions are near free. And from your perspective, what's the uh, the pros and cons of uh, InMail? InMail is LinkedIn's most expensive ad format out there. Um, the other ads that we've talked about, you only pay when someone clicks. So there's much lower risk there. With InMail, you're going to pay, and it's they, it sounds like a small amount. You're going to pay 35 to probably 55 cents to send it to someone, but there's no guarantee that they will see it or open it or click on it. So that's three steps now in between uh getting someone to your landing page or, you know, introduced to your offer to a form, you know, you do the math on this and you'll have about a 50% open rate on average, and then about a 3% click through rate on average. And so you do that math, you come out to like a 23 to a $56 cost per click. Uh, so they are pricey. So the reason why we actually like in mails is only in the case of having a, a, a very special personal offer. Um, if you were to get an email from from someone cold and you were excited about the opportunity, that's the kind of thing that you need to have in an in-mail. If you're just pitching like download this white paper or, um, or this checklist or something, uh, it's going to be a really expensive cost per conversion. But if you're saying like, join us as a VIP to this event, or because of who you are in the industry, we want to give you early access or a sneak peek at something, or we're interested in you for a job opportunity. Those are the kinds of offers that feel very personal that would come across well over InMail, and you'll end up with really high open rates and really high click-through rates. If you just do the normal, the average stuff, they will be incredibly expensive. When you step back from it, how does like... uh like, for instance, your parents, how do you explain to them what, what you do? Do they sort of get it? Well, it's funny. I spoke in I spoke at PubCon in Vegas a few weeks ago, and my parents just happened to be in Las Vegas at the time. And so I got them in to come and hear me speak for the very first time. And after I got off stage, my mom said, I have no idea what you're talking about, but boy, was <laughs> I proud of you up there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's great. And, and this is all because you saw someone do a presentation on cars. <laughs> that's exactly it. Oh boy, cars will be the end of me. <laughs> well, whatever whatever it takes, you know, it's, that's what that's what drove your passion to it's like, oh, okay. I got to ask though, have you have you since had it worked on a client where it's it's car related or auto themed yet? Oh, you're still waiting for that client. Oh, I did a little bit back when I did a lot of B2C stuff at agencies and that stuff would get me excited. But now that I'm B2B, there's just very little. But I will say if Ferrari ever comes to me or Aston Martin ever comes to me, I'll be happy to help you advertise for free. AJ, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been great. And thanks for bringing your insights and LinkedIn advertising to me and my listeners. And listeners, thanks you for being a part of today's episode. I appreciate you making this part of your podcast routine. 
Be sure to subscribe so you're the first to know of new episodes. If you haven't yet, leave me a comment in Apple Podcasts or however you are listening. I love to hear from you. Reviews and stars are always helpful. As always, you can find the podcast on all the major channels. Join the discussion online. Let's talk even more about marketing. You can always find me on Twitter every day at John W. Ellis. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.